Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, where each episode explores how to integrate timeless wisdom into everyday life. We engage in meaningful conversations with leading thinkers in philosophy, leadership, theology, and everything in between. We leave no stone unturned in search of wisdom. To learn more, visit us at perennialleader.com. Greetings and welcome. Joshua here. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, my guest is Ashton Gustafsson, the host of Good, True, and Beautiful, one of my favorite podcasts. Ashton recently put out five episodes called the True Self series with guests like Mark Nepo, Parker J. Palmer, and Kelly Flanagan, to name a few. I asked Ashton if he would come on and share some wisdom from those conversations. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Please welcome the wise and gracious Ashton Gustafsson. Ashton, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you for having me, Joshua. Super uh, grateful to get to be here with you today. I am definitely grateful. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the True Self series and found myself clamoring for a reunion show of, of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> me too. That makes two of us. <laughs> I'm interested in seeing if we can identify some of the themes that ran through those conversations. How does that work yeah. for you? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's see where we go. Awesome. Before we dive into the true self, I was hoping we could learn a little bit about what initially started you on this path and, and the podcast. I've always pursued wisdom. I've always had this unquenchable thirst to know about the thing underneath the thing. Surface level has never been that interesting to me. And so from a very young age, I mean, I could say, I don't really know what age this would have been, but for uh, five, six, seven years old, I, I could remember moments in nature and feeling like there's something going on out here in the forest I'm in. There's, there's, there's a presence. There's something that's trying to communicate to me. There's there's something happening here. And then then as I got older, you know, as I started, you know, being introduced to new language, I guess through the faith tradition that I grew up in, that was given a name, right? And so my evolution of consciousness, you know, is is kind of moving here. And then I think we all get to kind of high school and junior high and junior high and high school, and we're trying to figure out this thing of life and faith and who are we. And then we get through college and college is saying, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, go, go build something bigger than yourself, uh, whatever that means. You taste a little bit of success in your 20s. We all just kind of learn that whatever that success was, whatever we told success was, it, it didn't really do the trick that we were told that it was going to do. So pardon my long intro here to tell you how I started a podcast. I feel like I was very mystical in my nature through college. And then I got out of college and just was like grinding in, in the business world. And eventually that failed me. That failed me in a lot of ways. That failed me in connection with myself. That failed me in connection with the divine. Failed me in connection with friends. I went and tried to build that thing bigger than myself. And, you know, then you kind of find out there's, there's nothing that's bigger than yourself. So I had a crash and burn moment in 2012, and I really took that season to call time out and 
go back into those mystical roots that I'd always had as a child and go, wait a minute, I got so many books here that I need to dig back into. And that was also a season where a lot of those books led me to new voices that I'd never been introduced to before in high school and junior high. Parker J. Palmer's of the world, Mark Nepo's, Thomas Merton, Father Richard Rohr, Martin Buber, Paul Tillich, John O'Donohue, you know, all of these people. And that's kind of when I had my latest aha moment, which is to, to steal the words of Henry Nowen, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what others think or say about me. And that huge aha started a conversation within myself that then started a conversation with some people in the world, which led to the podcast. And so I didn't have a lot of people to have these dialogues with. When you start asking questions about essence and talking about true self and false self, and you're in the middle of North Texas, you don't have a big, there's not a big crowd out there that's going, yeah, let's talk about that. And so I kind of was deconstructing some of that. And then many of these people invited me to reconstruct, you know, what I deconstructed. And I think that's what Good, True and Beautiful is. I I think Good, True and Beautiful podcast, I hope it will somehow be the work of my life one day, Or, or it is already. It is the work of my life. I don't get paid to do it. It is that thing that, you know, they always say, what would you do if you didn't get paid? And it's like, Oh, well, there it is. <laughs> I am in the business world. I own and operate a handful of businesses, but it allows me to get to experience goodness, truth, and beauty in the world. And so I'm always wondering what goodness and truth is, you know, and kind of trying to put my thumb on that. I think I've landed at a place to where I don't want to know what beauty is. I just <laughs> want to stay really curious about it because it seems to me that beauty is such an invitation in so many ways, to live at the deep and soul level. And so, pardon a very long response to your question. I hope that kind of gives a little bit of overview of uh, what I'm up to in the world. No, I love it. That was great. I have been very impressed with, uh, I would call this insatiable curiosity that you bring to many of these, these conversations. Do you feel followed that same thread, that particular path or that that pull to re-engage with some of this stuff uh, that you had to do it? It was a bit of a calling, I guess. Yeah, probably so. I realized how much self-suffering I was causing myself. There's a bit of a pattern here. I mean, I talked to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, you just grind in your 20s and then you get into your 30s and you're like, that didn't work. So maybe that's just a part of what it is. But I, one of my great passions in life is just handing off good stuff that I find. And oftentimes that's wisdom. And when someone's ready to receive that, that is such a, that's such an honor. That's such a privilege to be in that space. Because I, I, I think, I think what we're doing when we, when we hand off wisdom, not from the space of the ego, but from the space of the true self, you are helping pave the way for someone to live a lighter and brighter life. You are helping somebody detach, excavate their essence, detach from their ego. And that's the place of freedom. That's the place of liberation. That's the place of great joy. That's the place where no one is offended. And so 
I'll take that as life work all day. And and it comes across in a lot of ways. It's not just reserved for the podcast. You know, I think that it's it's essential for your listeners to know that like we bring our whole selves to all parts of our lives and whatever that calling is, we allow it to be there in all of those different avenues. So to transition to the the true self, you do a wonderful job being mindful of your words and cognizant of how the language may not necessarily capture it. For someone new to the to the concept, what are the the origins and maybe a basic basic framework of the true self? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that I would begin inviting someone to consider that there's a part of them that they had nothing to do with. It's actually all of them, by the way. But but let's start let's start small. There there's a there's the uncreated self. There is the the soul. There is the maybe we could use the word essence. When I speak of true self, I am speaking of the place. I'm not going to name everyone who uses these words, so just know that all wisdom is stolen, right? So I'm, I'm stealing stealing from these people. The true self is the it's the uncreated self. It's the place of the soul. But more than anything, it is you haven't done it. It's total gift. There's no grind to get it. There's no manufacturing of it. There is no painting it, polishing it, making it sexy. It is what it is what it is. And, and we have all been granted this. Now, in a world that is totally driven by I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what others think or say about me, it's not really in vogue to always begin and say we're all the same. And I wouldn't say that we are all twins at the true self level, but we all have a true self. And so maybe the next step is, okay, well, if you got the true self, then what's the false self? The, the, the false self is everything about us that goes away when we die. <laughs> your bio, your role, your social currency in the world. All of these things that we work so hard to bolt on to our identity, that's going to be the false self. And notice that I didn't use the, the, the word bad self. This is We are not talking in terms of good and bad. What we're talking about is absolute reality, and I would use capital A, capital R reality, versus manufactured illusion, lowercase m, lowercase illusion. And so the true self is total gift. This is, to use some language from my tradition, you know, this is who you are hidden with Christ and God. And I realize how loaded that phrase is, but I'm willing to go all in on it and say, yes, that is, that's the place that we're talking about in the true self. I hope I'm helping and answer this. And, and as hard as it is, it's hard to talk about because it's so mysterious and it's endless. Like imagine, imagine talking about something that's infinite. There is a place in you that's infinite. I mean, this is good news. Like this is, this is really good news. And you can, not only can you live from that place, but you can get to know that place. And the good news is if it's infinite, you got all of an infinite eternity to get to know it. That's how vast this true self is. And so I think some people, when they hear this language, you know, you got to, you, you kind of have to be ready for it a bit. I think you, you kind of have to, 
I call it the monkey suit. Like for me in business, I, I know my days when I'm like, man, I wore the monkey suit hard today and I believed <laughs> it. I bought into it. Uh, I thought it was the truest thing about me. You kind of have to see the monkey suit and go, oh yeah, that's that's the thing that I think I am, but it's ac- I'm actually not that. How do we become aware? I mean, there's there's a lot of ways that I think we become aware of. I didn't know the true self until I was introduced to the false self. I can say that. That was my experience. And so I think that there's probably four categories that help us get to know the true self. The first one is I, I would call grace. Like you just, it clicked with you one day and you had not, it was total gift, right? The next one would be practice and discipline. Like what what practices and disciplines do you have to take the monkey suit off every day and say, I'm not what I have. I'm not what I do. I'm not what others think or say about me. And then, you know, as Father Rohr teaches, great love and great suffering. Great love and great suffering. When somebody really, truly loves you, they mirror. They let that true self of you shine. And suffering... I mean, a lot of times it is the false self that causes that suffering. And so without the suffering, you would have never known the false self and you would have never known the true self. It's language that when when the soul is ready for it, it really resonates. And I would say that the, the four mediums that I have found or avenues of awakening are just pure grace, practice and discipline, great love and great suffering. Something that Richard Rohr has said that for some reason stuck with me a bit was around this, if it's true, it's true everywhere. Or maybe if it's useful, it's useful. If it's true, it's true everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see it connecting with some of the, what I see is similar, like the perennial philosophical question of, of who am I or around Buddhist terminology of no self. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see connections there? And how, how does that resonate? If it's true, it is true everywhere. And I think that truth is big enough to hold everything that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, truth, truth sets a really big table. Truth isn't afraid of coming at things at different angles, with different metaphors. I'm not an expert in some of the other religions in the world. I have experienced at times some very interesting wisdom through different traditions that I've been exposed to. Maybe the way I would answer this is the true self is the collected self. The true self is the integrated self. The true self is the self that is, that is able to include everything and everyone. The false self is the separate self. It loves talking about how it's different, how it's not that, how it's better than that. That, that it, it loves identifying and critiquing and labels and categories. The true self is vast enough to say, in the words of Father Rohr, everything belongs. I think I'm dancing around your question a bit, but so many traditions, if we listen close to them, are talking about patterns. We may call it the pattern of death and resurrection, right? That whatever is true actually 
cannot die. That's one of the great teachings that we somehow missed in the resurrection of Jesus is that Christ continued. Jesus of Nazareth existed for 33 years. The Christ always was, always is, always will be. And so I think for us, as we learn to navigate this language, if it's true, it's true everywhere. It's on us today when you've had some of these ahas of the true self is to make sure you're leaving some chairs out for some other people that may not have the exact language that you have. But in the words of Buddha, all of these things down here are just fingers pointing at the moon. We're all, we're all pointing at the moon, right? And religion is the history of arguing over the finger. And so I would say true self-language would be, what's the moon? Don't get so caught up in arguing over the finger. I love it. To follow the uh, thread of the false self a little bit, in your conversation with, with Kelly Flanagan, who you've had on a number of times, and he was gracious enough to come on here, you got into a bit of the protective self, and, and he writes a bit about the, the ego castle. Could you elaborate a bit on what that maybe looks like in, in everyday life? Well, there's so much at stake with the ego and the false self. The good news of the true self, there's nothing at stake. It's total okayness, right? The false self, it has to defend, it has to compete. And this is hard, right? Because some of us, like for me, I mean, I'm in the business world and like we do have competition. And if I just walk around all day saying, well, I have a true self and you should, you know, you do business with me, like that doesn't really work in, in those categories. But I can say this, when you do arrive in your life through your true self, and you're in that undefended state, that is such a welcome place in the world that we can see this from a mile away. Like, you know a free person when you see them. You know someone that's not defending and critiquing and always worried about what is everyone thinking and how am I lining up here and that the world is just a cosmic cocktail party and what kind of points am I scoring and am I being retweeted and followed? And that is the false self. And so... Oftentimes, you know, I talk about the thing underneath the thing. I think in our most honest, deepest, quiet moments, we, we know that it's not the whole enchilada. And sometimes in the midst of, what do you mean you didn't do business with me? Or what do you, you know, or, or maybe even if, if it's how we parent or I wasn't a good husband or we like when you're always needing to defend that, I think we all kind of know ah, this isn't the truest thing about me. And maybe we just haven't found language for that. You know, like maybe consciousness wasn't ready to really look at the roles of our lives. We ask kids at four years old, what are you going to be when you grow up? And we never just constantly ask, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You know, we're asking, what are you going to do? You know, I'm going to go to the moon. I'm an astronaut. I'm going to play in the NFL and, and, and like, Think about what that does to like the lizard brain of four and five year olds, right? And then they turn 35 and they're not on the moon. <laughs> uh, and they're not in the NFL. We can see why people are, are walking around depressed, burned out, overwhelmed. The great invitation for those of us that have been entrusted young souls is just to constantly invite them to consider who are you? 
Who are you? And know, know that it, that that question is as big as the universe. And the universe is still expanding, by the way. And the rate at which it's expanding is exponentially increasing. And so if it's true, it's true everywhere. Well, if that's true out there, that has to be true in here. That's a bedrock belief that I have, that like creation, and this could maybe rattle the cage of some, but like creation was the first scriptures, in my opinion. Like the unmanifest became manifest. And that's why the seasons, they speak to us through the lens of everything being renewed, death and resurrection. This is why when you're on top of a mountain and you're looking out across the earth, something in you is happening. This is why when you're fly fishing in the middle of a river in Missoula, you feel like you are caught up in something. It's speaking to you. It's, it's, it's ringing true. Univocity, the one voice, is communicating in that moment. And I feel like I'm taking you down so many rabbit holes today, <laughs> Joshua. So my, my, my apologies. No, it's good stuff. Dance, dance all around. <laughs> uh, the question, who are you? And, and you've mentioned the thing under the thing. I was watching one of the million Alan Watts videos on, <laughs> on, yep. on YouTube. And I had to jot down something that was said. What most people mean by the word I is a hallucination or false sense of personality. So well said. It does seem challenging the question who are you? How do we get beyond that our initial habitual response to that? And any thoughts on the the thing under the under the thing? Well, at the cocktail party, the response you and I are talking about doesn't work, right? I'm a child of the divine. I am an expression of the universe. I am one with all things. Uh, Like you're going to, you know, whoever you're talking to is going to go, I think, you know, I'll have another old fashioned, please. Um, But in the in the still small, quiet hours of our soul, your question is, how do we get beyond it? Is that what you were asking? I think some of the things around the know thyself or self-awareness or true self or Sometimes that initial response is to the question. It's what we initially think around that false self, that hallucination of of everything that you've been mentioning around the, that false self. Any thoughts of of insights that you have that have helped you get a bit beneath that? Yeah, yeah. A buddy of mine, Chris Hewitt, he he uses a phrase called excavating essence. That helps me with the shedding of that monkey suit, right? That the eye that's connected to role. You know what I, and I always say, like, you've got soul and you've got role. And, and those two are kind of duking it out at times. Well, no, no, no. The soul is never duking it out. The role definitely is. And the soul is just going, hey, hey, role, if you'll just kind of let me be involved in this with you here, it's this will work out pretty well. And the role's like, well, you don't understand me. You don't understand how important I am. You don't understand my PhD I got. And, you know, and, and the soul's like, yeah, you're right. I don't I don't understand that. It's actually not that interesting. And so the phrase of excavating essence is is really helpful to me because our conditioning, uh, our culture, our upbringing, you know, the the American way is really good at building up these things around us, right? And and allowing us to think that we are our job. We are our 
reputation. We are what we have. We are what others think or say about us. And so I think that's why I kind of go back to the the idea of like discipline, practice, grace, great love and great suffering. If you don't have a daily practice, I don't want to make an, a statement that I would regret saying, but it is highly unlikely that you will walk out in who you truly are. It's highly unlikely that that true self is going to show up in your life and your relationship and your business without a practice of excavating to get to that essence, without a practice of dropping the overwhelming narrative that's always playing in the background. I mean, I think of like Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. I think about Michael Singer, Untethered Soul, Parker J. Palmer, Let Your Life Speak. I mean, I think of all of these authors, they're coming at this in all different ways, but they're arriving at the same conclusion that who you actually are is always going to be very much more interesting than who you think you are. And that's, if I'm honest, maybe one out of 10 days I'm there. (laughs) I mean, this is... This is what it means to be human. This is the work. This is the this is one of the great challenges of not only waking up, but staying awake, staying aware. Every day we got to come back to it over and over and over. And who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And keep asking that question and know that that question ends up being the answer. That I don't think I've said this before. We've been sold that a life of periods is what we're after, right? Like, I got the job, period. I got married, period. I graduated, period. And the the, the true self, the soul, is way more into commas. Like, what's next? What's next? That was beautiful. What's next? You're never going to get out of this summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, or winter, spring, summer, fall. Which one's first? I don't know. Like, (laughs) I I don't know which one's first, but but I know that, like, that's the pattern. And, And the true self is comfortable in that mystery. The true self doesn't demand answers. Maybe here's a better way to put it. To separate from the I, ask yourself, are you locked up here in an Excel spreadsheet or are you down here in the midst of a trillion colors you can paint with your life? Answers, formulas, Excel spreadsheets, the right, like decimals, everything has to be lined up and correct. Or are you in the heart space where mystery abounds, where paradox is okay, and you actually know that you don't know? Like the question of who are you? I don't know. I've tasted it. I've had little glimpses here and there, but I keep going after it. It's comma. I'm going to look tomorrow, comma. I'm going to experience it today, comma. It's not, this is who I am. I'm a real estate agent in Texas, and by golly, that's what they're going to say at my eulogy. Like what a what an utter failure of, of my life, if that's the case but I'm after mystery. I'm after wonder. I'm after awe. I'm after presence. And that's the language of the true self. I think when you can live in in that space, life becomes really rich, really full. And by the way, that's sustainable. 
like almost everything the ego does is not sustainable. But the true self, it, it's it's inexhaustible. It's not, uh, and it doesn't have to be fed. It doesn't need admiration. It doesn't need stroking the ego. It doesn't need to be stroked. <laughs> there, there's no stroking there. It it is it is okay. It's okay that it's okay that it's okay. To follow the thread of this counterintuitive way or or way of of paradox, shedding, letting go, surrendering, not knowing, a concept you brought up a few times is form and formless. What do you mean here and what might be the, the difference for somebody not familiar? I think you have to learn to trust this. And let me just say that some it, sometimes it takes form to communicate or to know that which is formless. I would use the phrase form of, of the places in life that we kind of attach to, back to that role, back to our jobs, our vehicles, our cars, our diplomas, the letters before, the fancy letters before your name, the fancy letters after your name, like all of that I, I would call form. However, it took God becoming enfleshed, right? The God became form, Book of John would say, and dwelled among us. The, the, the God put skin and bones on and moved into the neighborhood, I think, as Eugene Peterson said. And so the form of this is the life of Jesus, that communicated to us the formless side of who this God is. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the triune God. There's like two conversations at play here, right? Form and formless, almost all of us lose sleep at night over the form in our life. And then, in the same token, almost all of us never get to experience each day that that in us which is formless, which I would call the true self, the soul. We don't want to call form bad. We don't want to call form wrong. We just want to say that most form is pretty temporary and it's always changing. But your true self, while it may feel like it's changing and evolving, it's it's always true. It's always been there. It, it's not going away anytime soon. So I hope I'm answering that right. It, it's it's hard to break down, I think, the two separate conversations of form and formless. One being like, it takes form to communicate formlessness, but at the same time, it's form that often keeps us up at night, puts us into states of suffering, because it's the thing in which we we boast, we hold on to, we can see it, right? We can we can grab onto it. Here's my car. Here's my diploma. Here's my place of business. What we have to do, some of the great work of being human today is as fast as we can when we meet someone that's not like us, is dropping all of those forms, dropping whether that's socioeconomic background, skin color, faith tradition, food preference, <laughs> where you went to college, all of that's form, right? And yet meet somebody soul to soul and learn who they are in their essence. You know, the East is so much better at this than we are. We almost know nothing of essence. We're way more interested in personality, you know, in the West. The East, I think, does this very, very well. They're, they're at home a lot more in the, the conversation of formlessness. And so we've got a lot to learn from them. You know, you need a left hand, you need a right hand, right? It's not, it's not either or, it's both and. That's missing in a lot of our upbringing these days. 
You mentioned the form not being good or bad. Does it does it resonate with how I believe it's Jack Cornfield will say this realization, this maybe true self, maybe not the language he would use, but then you also need to know your social security number. Some of those practical That's right. Like and that's where I think it's one of the Roar will call it the contents, but not the container. Roar will call the true self the container and the false self the contents, right? Like dad, business owner, theologian, podcast host, all all of those things. You actually kind of need a healthy ego. I mean, you got to get out of bed and go do something today. You need to you need to show up on time, right? Like there is fo- calendar is form, right? Like you need to be places, you need to do your job well. But I think it's it's this razor thin conversation where the collision of those two paradoxes connect. That is where life becomes crazy interesting and crazy beautiful. We all know these people and they may not even be within a faith tradition that you're accustomed to, but like, you know a transformed person when you've met them, right? Like there's just, there's something about their essence that you're like, I've never experienced any one or thing like this in skin and bones. And yet it took their form for you to be introduced to that. And so, yeah, I I think that's well said. I think Cornfield, did he write first The Ecstasy, then The Laundry? Did he write that book? Yes. Yeah. After enlight after enlightenment, then the laundry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, something like that. First the ecstasy, then the laundry, or something yeah, one of those. Whatever it is, he gets the like high five for the all-time greatest book title award. I think it's good to also interject here that none of us are just going to float through our days in essence, right? Maybe there's another realm where that happens. But, you know, that doesn't really work all day. Yet I do know there's a tasteful way for you to just be, right? And you get the three, you know, you've got be, do, and have. And and when we get those three letters mixed up, some of us think if I have this, then I will be that, and then I'll get to do whatever. Some of us think if I do that, then I will be that, and then I'll have everything I ever wanted. And the truth is, you got to go, I'm just going to be. And then out of that being, I'm going to do something redemptive in the world. And then after that, I think I'll have everything that I could ever imagine that would actually fill me up at the soul level. And so be, do, have. And then, you know, the stillness prayer, you know, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still and then be. And so you just back it all the way down and and you just be. What a refreshing human when you meet someone that they don't have the monkey suit on. They've probably gone through some great love, great suffering, a lot of practice and found some grace. I I really say this, you can spot it from a mile away. That's who I want to be in the world. And if I can be that one out of a hundred days, maybe that's a win. So good. Something that came up in the conversation with Mark Nepo, I think that was where the term wisdom and experiential knowing Mm -hmm. came up, which is something I don't necessarily think about often, but it 
definitely clicked around a quote that I, I don't know who said it, but I, I like, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Yep. It's, you know, you, <laughs> you don't know that until you get your taste buds yes. on it. There's no way to know. What might a taste of the true self be experientially? Like anything, that a, a glimpse? Yeah, great question. I like using the words lighter and brighter just because I know how many of us are living lives that are heavy and dark. You know what? There's a lot of stuff that we've been all dealt that's heavy and dark and we never asked for it. The bigger aha that I've had is how much of that heaviness and darkness that I've played a role in, which is typically buying into something that's not absolutely true, something that's that's an illusion that I've called reality that has led to that type of suffering. And so when I say, like, what would a taste be like? I would just say, can you imagine a lighter and brighter life? And what would that look like? Can you imagine not being offended every other minute when someone says something that you don't totally agree with? Can you imagine not having to categorize and label every single thing that happens in your life? Can you imagine not having to lay a narrative over every second of your life and just being like, oh, that's interesting. Can you imagine someone driving in front of you and instead of you saying, can you believe they cut me off? You could go, somebody just drove in front of me kind of quickly. Can you believe they cut me off? That's a statement. That's a narrative. That's a story. Now you're a victim. Now you're offended. All of the false self, right? I was in my lane and you got in my lane. This is ego language versus somebody just drove in front of me really quickly. How fascinating. <laughs> and one of the ways that I've started to taste this, and, and I don't know if this was in one of those interviews, but I've shared it on a couple podcasts recently, is I have a practice of smiling while I'm alone driving in my car. And my senses are, if you saw me, you would think that dude is a little off. <laughs> but what the practice does for me is it gets me out of my calculating mind. It gets me out of my judgment mind. It gets me out of my scarcity mind. And I'm in total abundance. And everything's okay. And look at the green light I just went through. And it's raining. Oh, well, you could be so mad at the rain or you can just say, oh, it's raining. And I'm smiling. I think the palate of the soul takes some developing. And this is why I tell people, when you start getting introduced to some of this language and you start tasting and seeing, the worst thing you can do is demand that other people around you start tasting and seeing. The best thing that you can start doing is being the redemptive presence, being a non-reactive presence, coming with love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and allow that being to start to cultivate their soul palate mm. so that they start going, you know what? This adding up, this calculating, this scarcity stuff, this us versus them, this I'm always a victim stuff. 
I don't really like the taste of this anymore. Mm-hmm. There's something out there that's more mysterious. There's something, you know what? There's actually better soul food to eat out there. And the ego's got to have his calculations and he's got to know who's in and who's out. And he's got to be a victim. He's got to defend. What if instead of one out of every hundred days, you start moving to two out of every hundred days, you live in a place of abundance, live in that place of no offense, nothing to defend, pure love, pure joy. And I know we don't live there 24-7, but my senses are the degree to which we each individually tune up will be the degree to which the whole planet starts to tune up. And so tweeting about it probably isn't very helpful. Ranting about it online is probably not very helpful. But where this shows up is in the small, hidden, overlooked, never known places where you were simply a redemptive presence, a non-reactive presence. And what that'll do is that'll start helping another see just a little bit differently. And... That's the invitation. I think the invitation is not everyone get right, everyone find your true self, everybody, you've been doing it wrong. The the invitation here that we're talking about is how can you start to live a little lighter and brighter? And I would bet that when you start rummaging around in the true self, that the aftermath of that will be a lighter and a brighter presence. And that is what helps tune the world up. I love it. Lots of wisdom in there. Does that invitation, is it an invitation to love? Think of Thomas Merton, that experience on the corner, the realization of this. Fourth and Walnut. Yeah, the inner connection. Is it? Everyone was ablaze. Yeah, man. Like, love is another thing I'm not really interested in defining, Mm. but I know what it is. And it comes in a myriad of forms, uh, a never ending myriad of forms. Love serves. Love makes room. Love uh, welcomes. Love encourages. Love nourishes. Love has a joy vibe to it. I think I'd say well said. This has been great. If I was asked as we start to to wrap up here, you know, the true self is what might be a, a brief wrap up on that. The true self is who you were originally whispered to be. The true self is who you are. And the true self is also who you are becoming. The true self is the place in you where you mirror the divine, the place in you that knows total inclusion, the place in you that simply just is, and it's unoffendable, and it's deathless, it's mysterious, it's never-ending, and wouldn't you believe it, that's the thing we've been looking for the whole time. Still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? You two said it best. Guess what? It's always going to be laying out more breadcrumbs for you. It's always going to become a little bit more interesting, a little bit more colorful, a little bit more flavorful, and that will never end. And so I would say, if you are looking for something with endless flavor, 
If you're looking for something with endless song, if you're looking for something with endless color, you already have it. And it's been there the whole time. In order to find your life, apparently you have to lose it. So the thing that needs to be lost is the thing you've worked so hard on. I know that's bad news, right? That the the ego, we spend all of our lives polishing and building this thing. But when you can separate and detach from that false self ego monkey suit, uh, what you will find is what has been there all along. There, I think you will have enough goodness, truth, and beauty to last you from now through eternity. I will leave the true self as mysterious as I can, because the second you put your thumb on it, I think you're probably not talking about it. I love it. Put a comma on it. That's right. <laughs> For someone interested in in learning more, looking to to pick up a, a book to maybe search a little yeah. bit for that mystery, is there any that come to mind? Absolutely. I would say, as far as a novel goes, uh, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Gotta throw shout out to my uh, dear friend Kelly Flanagan with Lovable. Yeah. When I read Lovable, I was like, what is happening? This is every one of my favorite books all put into one. <laughs> I'm looking up here on my wall. Let Your Life Speak. A lot of Parker J. Palmer. Let Your Life Speak, A Hidden Wholeness, uh, The Promise of Paradox. Those three books say whatever I've been trying to say better than I could ever say it. Life of the Beloved, John O'Donohue, that for sure would work. Immortal Diamond by Richard Rohr is what got me started. So if you want to know the match that was lit, found a bucket of kerosene, it was uh, the Immortal Diamond that got me going. Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now, and that Michael Singer, Untethered Soul. Like Those are all coming at different languages, and just be prepared that they will be using different words, but remember, pointing to the moon. We're pointing to the moon. I encourage everyone to to check out good, true, and beautiful podcast, especially the episodes on the on the True Self series. This has been a great conversation. Where would you point people interested in learning more about you, Ashton? Yeah, uh, you can go to my website, ashtongustafson.com. I don't update it as much as I should, but you, you can at least see what's there. And then Spotify and iTunes, if you type my name in there, or Good, True, and Beautiful, you'll find our podcast, and everyone's welcome. There's always room for more, and uh, we hope you pull up a seat and listen to our conversation sometime. I love it. Ashton Gustafson, I thank you for what you do, who you are, and I appreciate you coming on. This has really been a pleasure. Thanks, Joshua. Keep at it. Keep doing your thing, man. We, we need more of it. Thank you for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to our free email meditations. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life. Write to your inbox. Go to perennialleader.com. Lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. And until next time, be wise and be well.